Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor started his new sermon, True Freedom. Join us in John 8. I put this down. Social freedom is a temporary thing, while spiritual freedom is an eternal or an everlasting thing. There's your hashtag for the day. Social freedom is a temporary thing, while spiritual freedom is an eternal or an everlasting thing. I think about this true freedom quite a bit when I see what God has to say in his word. You see, true freedom is not about changing my outward circumstances. It's not built on bigger houses, better jobs, or super fast cars, although I I, I like all those things. It's okay. It's not built there. It's not based on a physical location, my physical circumstance, or quite frankly, my physical health. Because I've been through the ringer with some physical issues in my life. And I know that my freedom is not built on my physical health because the Bible says, for me and for you and for all of us, boast not thyself for tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And so true freedom is not based on it. It's not determined Quite frankly, it's not, I know this may rub the fur the wrong way, but it's like I say, if this rubs your fur the wrong way, just turn the cat around, okay? It's not based on a political event, a political platform, or a political policy. My freedom, my reality, my spiritual freedom is based in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I'm excited about it. By the way, I got to let you know, when I go away for a week, and, and, and I have vacation, I come back with all this energy. And it's all up inside of me. And I'm thinking about this and I'm reading. By the way, if you want to read about true freedom, read Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, over and over and over again. Read uh, John chapter 8, over and over and over again. Read Galatians chapter 5, over and over and over again. You say, how do you know? That's what I did on vacation. I kept on reading these chapters. You say, isn't once enough? Absolutely not. If you've read through a passage of Scripture once in your lifetime, or maybe you've read through the Bible once and you think you've accomplished something great, man, I want to encourage you to read it a second time, and a third, and a fourth, and on and on. Because every time you read Scripture, if you really have a desire to learn and, and to be fed from Scripture, you're going to see something new. It's amazing the things that I see today that I didn't see in the past. Listen, true freedom is spiritual. It's purposeful. True freedom enables us because uh, when I talk about true freedom, I'm talking about freedom that comes from God. It enables us to break free. You see the chains. It enables us to break free of the bondage or the chains, if you please, of many, many things. You say, what kind of things? Things like pride. You were talking about pride earlier. See, true freedom allows me to break free from the bondage of pride. What about anger? Anybody ever struggle with anger? Thank you, brother. One, one honest person in the room. See, uh, what about this? I know this is going to be a sore subject. Does anybody, has anybody ever struggled from bitterness? How about an untamed tongue... We talked about that a while, but here's, here's a new one. I added a new one because, you know, I'm speaking to millennials and Generation Zers and Generation X and all this good stuff. How about not only an uncontrained, uh, un, untrained or uncontrolled tongue, but what about uncontrolled texting fingers and thumbs? 
See, we have to be very careful because those things will lock us in bondage. We get so attached to a device and we get so angry about some situation, never looking to the cross where our freedom was purchased, we think it's all about us. When in reality, it's all about Him. It's always been about Him. And so when I think about true freedom, I get excited. Because true freedom is always, always about Jesus. What about breaking free from things like immoral lust or addictions? Lies. I know nobody here has ever told a lie, but maybe, maybe someone knows somebody. You know, maybe you know somebody who told a lie. You can be an encouragement to them. Uh, what about lies, gossip? I know, listen, in God's house, nobody gossips, right? Hey, Mich- I want to ask, Glenn, I want to thank you in the last hour. You asked people to pray for me. I, n- I know that typically sometimes people talk about the pastor, but I'm thankful that you asked them to pray for the pastor. That's really cool. Um, what about this? What about anybody ever struggle with that bondage of greed? I want more, I want more, I want more. So off to work I go, <laughs> you know. What about uh, doubt? Have you ever, ever doubted God? Have you ever doubted his ability to bring you through the valleys of life? What about despair? Remember, I've shared with you, despair doesn't start at despair. It starts at disappointment. See, we move from disappointment, then disappointment moves to discouragement, and discouragement moves to despair. And then when despair has had its way in your life, we are on all full-out onset depression. And I've struggled with that before. But you know what? God gave me the victory through depression. You say, when did you struggle with depression? You've lived a great life. I struggled with depression when I was in Bible college. It's very depressing sometimes to get all the knowledge and all the knowledge and all the knowledge and then see that people are doing nothing with the knowledge. And I went into a period of my life where I was was making straight A's and fully depressed while I was doing it. Oh, these things have a way of keeping us locked up in bondage. And I want to encourage you today, seek the true freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, because the amazing thing about true freedom is that Jesus can actually free you wherever and whenever he wants, wherever you're at. No matter how far you think you've gone or no matter how far you actually have gone, he can free you. I think about in scripture just a few, for example, Peter was in the boat. Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute more Christians, more believers. The prodigal son, when I think about the prodigal son, he was laying in a pig pen full of slop. And he was not too far for the Lord's hands in that parable. I think about the Samaritan woman at the well. She had not gone too far for Jesus to free her. I think about the adulterous woman that is in John chapter 8, which we'll talk about just for a second. And he was able to free her. What about the second thief on the cross? This man is about to die. He is about to die and he looks to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, oh, got good news for you because today, surely today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, he can free you wherever you're at, whenever you're there, no matter the circumstances. And I could go on and on and on. But man's greatest problem is not some social injustice or some financial inequality. Mankind's greatest problem was, has been, and always will be his and her sin problem. Therefore, every man, woman, boy, or girl must be freed. One thing I've found over my life is that true freedom 
comes from Jesus. You see, I remember that angry 13-year-old boy. I remember him just like it was yesterday. So angry that God had taken my mom. So angry at the circumstances of life. And I remember that he set me free. He set me free from that anger. He set me free from that resentment. He set me free from the bitterness. He set me free from all my crazy, sinful habits. All the things that I thought I needed to do to be considered cool in Fairfax County, Virginia. And none of those things were bringing him honor or glory. And he set me free. In John chapter 8, if you look at the Bible, John chapter 8 actually begins, Jesus comes into the temple in the morning and he begins to teach people and he's sitting down and the scribes and the Pharisees, they bring the adulterous woman there. If you look at the beginning portion of chapter 8, they bring the adulterous woman and you know the story. They're asking Jesus. They're trying to, to, to trick him in a sense. They're asking him whether this woman or not should be condemned and stoned. And you remember this is the times when we see Jesus. He reaches down as though he doesn't hear him and he's writing in the dirt, if you please. And uh, we, they ask him this question and and in that very moment, what's really amazing about Jesus Christ is in that moment he teaches them and us all a lesson about being so quick to condemn people. It's easy, by the way, I learned this too. It's easy to throw stones when you're living in a glass house. But it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. He teaches us a lesson. After the adulterous woman is set free and Jesus, you know, he tells her in John chapter 8, he says, go and sin no more. He continues to teach the people. And I want you to notice in what, what he says in verse number 12. Verse number 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And immediately, notice what verse number 13, and I, guys, I didn't ask you to put it up there, but verse 13, the Pharisees, they basically make the accusation to Jesus. They say, your record or your testimony is not true. They're saying, you're lying. This is not true. What you're saying right now is not true. You're saying you're the light of the world. You're saying that we need to follow you. And if we don't, we're going to walk in darkness. But if we do, we're going to have the light of life. They're saying that's not true. Notice what the Bible goes on to say uh, on verses 14 and following. And here's the thing. As I read this, I want you to start to ponder this. If we're truly going to be free of anything, it really actually makes a difference what we believe. Right? So if, if I say that I'm going to put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ, I need to know, and everyone in this room needs to know and have an assurance that Jesus is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do, right? Otherwise, we're just a bunch of crazy people. I mean, we are crazy, but in a different way. Notice, notice what the Bible says in verse 14 and following. They say, you're a liar, basically. In verse 14... Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. It's not a lie, it's true. He says, For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I came and whither I go. You judge after the flesh. That's how you judge. He said, This is how you look at people. You judge them out of the flesh. He says, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. 
<laughs> he says, I am the one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto them, where is thy father? They ask him, they say, where is your father? And Jesus answers, and he says this, he says, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus into the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. And, said, and then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way. He says, I'm going to go my way. By the way, his ways and his thoughts are much higher than our ways and thoughts. He says, I'm going to go my way. He says, and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself because he saith, whither I go, you cannot come? And he said unto them, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Yeah. What a, what a great statement. Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, he says, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins for, notice the word, for if, if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. I want you to... Uh, see something, we'll not take time to go through it, but in verse number 26, we see Jesus' submission. In verse number 28, we see again Jesus' submission to the Father. In verse number 29, he says, And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. He's speaking again and again and again about his submission to the Father. Last week, Travis was talking about our, our, our commitment, our obedience this is exactly what Jesus modeled for us. See, so for us to walk a committed life, to walk a faithful life, to walk a life of obedience, it should be nothing strange because we have a model, as 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us in verse 21 to 24, we have a model in Jesus Christ. He's given us the model. Everything he did, he said he did to please the Father. And so notice what takes place in verse 30. As he spake those words, or these words, notice what happens. Many believed on him. And then we get to our passage for this morning. Just the first two verses really is where I want us to focus. Notice verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What he's saying is the truth, if you, if you will continue in my word, you're not only going to know the truth of God, you're not only going to know the truth of me, but that truth is going to liberate you. It's going to deliver you. It's going to set you free. But just like many today, as Travis read the passage earlier, the entire passage, these people and many people that I know and come into contact with today they begin to justify themselves before the Lord. He says, if, he says, if, if you will continue in my word. He says, you are my disciples indeed. And he says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They, can, they start to justify themselves. See, the Jews that, that had believed on him in verse number 30, as soon as he says, I'm going to make you free indeed, they say, well, hold on a second. We're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to anybody. We don't need you to liberate us. We don't need you to free us. See, they were confused about what Jesus was talking about. But in verse number 34, if you drop down, Jesus answered them and says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And that word committeth speaks of an ongoing action. 
ongoing action. And isn't that our problem with the flesh? See, the flesh always wants what it wants, when it wants, and how it wants. But we know that sin takes us further than we want to go. We know that sin keeps us longer than we want to stay. We also know that sin costs us ultimately more than we are ever willing to pay. You see, the pleasure of sin is just for a season. And then come the consequences. Then comes the, the repercussions, if you please, of sin. And, and this, this reminds me, I'm thinking about this, and I was reading this, and it reminds me about what the Apostle Paul was talking uh, to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 4 and 5. You know, he's talking about the end times in this passage. And he says, in verse number 4, he says that he, he's alluding to the fact that at the end times, that men are going to be, notice he says these words, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Listen, unfortunately, they assumed they were acceptable to God. They said, hold on a second, we don't need you to free us because we're acceptable to God because we're Abraham's sons. We have this covenantal agreement that because of Abraham, we're free. We don't need you to free us no matter how we live. Isn't that like some of the folks that we come into contact with? By the way, sometimes those folks that we come into contact with, for me, it's happened before. It happens to be the man in the mirror. See, it's real easy to condemn others without taking a spiritual inventory of ourselves. Oh, it's so easy. We have to be very, very careful of condemning others. Like those men, remember they brought the adulterous woman. They wanted Jesus to condemn her. They're like, they were looking for his word to go ahead and execute this woman. And Jesus says, he says, where are your accusers? He says, you without sin cast the first stone. And you know the story, from the oldest all the way down, they, they begin to drop the stones and they leave. They're like, I, it's almost like you, I can see it in a crowd there. Can you see the picture? There's a crowd of people. And, and from the oldest guy down to the youngest, they, they well, Martha's probably going to have dinner ready. I better get on, get on back to the house. Oh, I've got to go tend to the sheep. I'll see you later, guys. You know, and they start dissipating. They start disappearing. I wonder if they ever dealt with their own sin. Jesus deals with it for each and every one of us. And so this morning, I want us to look briefly at the conditions for true freedom. In these two verses, we can see it. They can be clearly seen. And if you're a note taker, you can write them down right now. The conditions are, number one, belief. The condition for true freedom is belief. The other condition, really, you say, well, that's all I need. Abiding. You need to believe and you need to abide. Abiding indicates a following, which speaks of our perseverance, our remaining. And here's the point. As we allow God's word to take up residency in our hearts and our lives, here's what Jesus is saying. When God's word comes in and it starts to work inside of you, it's going to flow outside of you and you will truly be made free. You will be set free. You will cease to live for self and sinfulness and you will begin to live a life that pleases and honors God. How cool is that when I think of true freedom? But what's really important, and it was amazing, Brother Glenn, when you spoke about 2 Chronicles 7, 14, because the very first thing you said was the word if. And that's the very first thing that I want people to notice here in this passage. Notice in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if 
Stop right there. He says, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. See, the word if is a huge, huge part of this passage. And it's incredibly important when it comes to our true freedom in Christ because it speaks of an invitation. There's an invitation being given. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. It's kind of like in John chapter 13, 34. You referenced this last week, Travis. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, if you love one another. (laughs) You know? And he says, if you do this, then all men will know that you are my disciples. The same thing he's saying here. I think about this past week. I was blessed to be in a tropical setting. I don't even know how God opened up that door, but we were able to be in this tropical setting. And and I was reminded when I got there that because of that setting, I was actually free and in the perfect place, by the way. That always makes a difference. I was free and in the perfect place to watch and enjoy sunrises. Have you ever gotten up to see a sunrise? I mean, and and I, I could get up every morning and see the beauty of God's creation and watch the sun come up on the water. How amazing is that to be in the Caribbean? <laughs> to have a copy of God's word, not only in my hand, but in my heart. And to be sitting there and to see his faithfulness once again rise from out of the water. But you know, I was also reminded something. I was reminded that for me, although I was free to see the sunrise. There were some conditions. You see, the conditions for me to see the sunrise were that I had to get up on vacation before, that's a big word too, before daylight. And there was another condition. You say, was that the only condition you had to wake up early? No, I had to be facing east. You see, if I slept in till 10 a.m. every morning, I can assure you, whether you're in Warrington or you're in Aruba, you will miss the sunrise. The same is true spiritually, folks. Did you, did you hear? Did you get the illustration? The same is true spiritually. We can know the truth of the gospel, but if... But if we never believe, if we never place our faith in the truth of the gospel, quite simply, we miss out. We will never, you will never experience true freedom. I will never experience true freedom. There is no true freedom outside of the gospel. Jesus Christ in him crucified is the one that sets us all free. And what's crazy to me is that I'm sitting in a room where I'm guessing most people believe that. I'm in a room where I hope that most people believe that. And yet, I wonder how many people have shared that. I mean, who wouldn't want to break free of the chains of bondage? And I'm guessing that everyone in this room has a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, or some Uh, some person that we've come into contact with who is locked in the chains of sin, who is locked in bondage because they don't know real freedom because they're putting their faith in their works. They're putting their faith in dad or grandpa or grandma or, or mom or somebody else's faith rather than trusting in the one who ultimately gives us freedom. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
Oh, there's conditions. If we ever hope to have true freedom, we must believe and we must abide. When I think about the first part, the idea of believing, I think about John uh, chapter 3. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And notice what he says in verse number 14. Jesus says this. He's telling Nicodemus, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Notice what verse 15 says. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And then we know John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Notice the words again. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Again and again, we see this message over and over. I think about John chapter 5. There's the man. You remember the story? He's laying by the pool of Bethesda, right? And, and he's, he's had this infirmity 38 years. And this is the guy. He's laying right by the edge of the pool, right? Here's the edge of the pool. And forgive my graphic scenery here. He's laying here, and he's waiting for somebody to help him to get to the water. And Jesus comes, and he offers him physical healing. And then Jesus disappears, He disappears. But if you read on in John chapter 5, Jesus finds this man. Where's the man at? He's in the temple. He says, good move. Good move, my friend. You were healed physically. Now you're in the temple. Hopefully you're there to give God all the praise and all the glory. And Jesus finds him in the temple and tells him, listen, don't sin lest a worse thing happen to you. Stay away from that stuff called sin. You know the payment? For Jesus' love and compassion in this man's life? If you know the story, you know what he does next, right? He goes and he tells the Jews. He says, ah, it was Jesus that healed me. It was that guy that healed me. And if you read the story, at that very moment, they are seeking to kill him. They're seeking to get him. Notice what Jesus says to this angry crowd in John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. The case for belief is made over and over and over in Scripture. You say, where else? What about John chapter 20? In John chapter 20, the resurrected Jesus Christ, he's already met with the disciples, right? He's already met with the disciples, but guess who wasn't there? Who wasn't there? Thomas. And we like to call, we give Thomas Didymus a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas. Uh, I, I would say that Thomas has no greater doubt problem than many of us. And yet we've given him this name. And so we see in John chapter 20 that Jesus is addressing Thomas. And notice in, in Scripture what takes place in verse 27 and following. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it in my side, and be not faithless, but, what does he say? Believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. There's the recognition, there's the belief. Uh, Jesus is who he says. And Jesus says unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that hath not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, the Bible says. And it says in verse 30, they're not even written in the book. But what I want you to key in on is verse 31. But these are written that ye, everyone who reads them, 
that ye might what? Believe. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Oh yes, the first condition is belief. We must have a belief system that recognizes and accepts and trusts that Jesus is who he says he is if we ever hope to have true freedom. And the second thing we must have is we must abide. We must abide. Listen, in verse 31 and 2, he says, If you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, what I want you to focus in is not the word if, but I want you to focus in on verse 31, the word continue. You see, because the word continue speaks of dwelling. It speaks of remaining. It speaks of staying. Just as you and I dwell in our homes, we too must be dwelling in Jesus. You say, well, how, do, how does that all work? I mean, I know you're, you're the pastor, and, and I mean, you've been to Bible college, and you've studied theology. How does that really work? Um, well, uh, I can tell you it works through his word. You know, let this mind be in you which was in Christ. All right, Philippians 2.5. I always say this, to have the mind of Christ, you must have the mind of Christ. We have it in our hands. We have it on our phones. We have it on our tablets. We have God's word readily available in so many formats that you could shake a stick at. And so we must abide in him through his word. We must abide in him through his will. Remember, I I say this all the time. Listen, a lot of people want to know, hey, uh, what what are we going to do next at Battlefield? I just want us to be faithful and fruitful. You say, well, what's the next project? Uh, my, my greatest desire would to see people get saved and baptized. Well, how are we going to do that? By teaching and preaching the Word of God. Well, who, who's going to do that? Well, actually, every one of us ought to. Well, where do you get that? Well, it's God's will. That's why he sent Jesus. That whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's his plan. That's the great commission. Not the good commission, but the great commission that he's given us. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we have his will. But then I also like to say this. We we dwell in Jesus through his word, through his will, and through his ways. You see, Proverbs 14, 12 said, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Think about Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. I mean, Isaiah has a lot to say about God's ways and his thoughts. And he says they're much higher than our thoughts, much higher than our ways. And so we have to trust that his way is best, even, even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, even when we are facing physical problems, even when we are facing financial ruin, even when we have relational issues in our home, we must trust that Jesus is still on his throne. And I just put this down, and maybe this might resonate with you, but if we really believe something, it's been my experience, if we really believe something, it's going to be evidenced in our behavior. If we really believe something, it's going to be evidenced in our behavior. You see, if I believe that uh, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, if I believe that he is my redeemer, if I believe that uh, our Lord is preparing a place for me, and, and that in John chapter 14 he says not only is he preparing a place, but he's going to come again and receive me unto himself, that where he is I may be also. If I really believe that and all the other things that his word has to say, then God's word 
It's natural, guys. It's not something that I'm begging you to do that's like, oh my gosh, the pastor wants us to get into God's word. I shouldn't have to beg you. I shouldn't have to call people and ask people to come worship Jesus on Sunday. I really shouldn't. Thank you, whoever said that's right. I, I really shouldn't have to call and beg somebody to come worship Jesus. Because you see, if I believe that he is who he says he is, and he has done what he says he'll do and will do what he says he can do, then I ought to want to worship him. I ought to, I ought to want to serve him. I don't want to love him. I don't want to love and serve other people other than me, myself, and I. I turn around a lot of times. We have people that go in and out of the hospital. And, and many times we try to get meals together for whether they be new mothers or somebody sick, somebody had a surgery or something like that. And we don't do a perfect job at it. We could do much better than we've done in the past. Otherwise, we might as well just give up now, right? It's amazing to me that it takes so much effort to get people to make a bowl of macaroni and cheese for somebody. And yet we say we believe that Jesus is on his throne. We believe that Jesus saved our souls. And yet we can't even communicate that love to another person. Oh my goodness, true freedom. Man, we must believe. We must abide in him as he is in us. Listen, 2 John, there's only one chapter, by the way, verse number 9. The Bible says, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now, I want you to be very careful not to confuse true freedom with some type of legal agreement. You say, now, is pastor speaking of a works-driven salvation up there? You know, he's talking a lot about believe, and then now he's talking about abiding and continue. Listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about some type of legal agreement. Listen, I abide because I want to, not because I have to. Listen, I abide because I have been set free by Jesus Christ. And those who have been set free by Jesus Christ have his divine power and purpose working inside of their lives. Oh, we ought to want to serve him. We ought to want to, to worship him. After all, we've been set free. And so I close with this. What are the results of true freedom? What are the, what are the results? If you're a note taker, you can write these three thoughts down. The first result is this. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free from the bondage of sin. Jesus answered in verse 34 and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. If you, do me a favor. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 6. I want you to see this before we close. In Romans chapter 6. And there again, I want to uh, challenge you this week. Read Romans 6, Romans 7, because Paul had a struggle with this thing called sin. But then read Romans chapter 8 as well. And this whole topic of true freedom uh, will make even greater sense by reading those uh, chapters. And look at uh, Romans chapter 6, verse number 3. And Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now stop just for a second. When somebody trusts Christ and they come forward for believer's baptism, you see me up there a lot of times saying, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? And the person answers in the affirmative, says, yes, I've trusted Jesus Christ. And then I say, I baptize you, my brother, or I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Uh, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That's what we see right there. We are raised 
to walk in newness of life. Once we've trusted Christ, once we've been baptized in Christ, we're raised to walk in newness of life. The old should not be the pattern of our life, but the new in Christ should be how we live. Let's read on. Verse number 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse number 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be, what is that word? Destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead, what does it say? Is freed from sin. True freedom requires death. Galatians, in Galatians 5, 1 says, stand fast. It says, be stationary. What Paul's saying, he says, be stationary, persevere, remain. Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There's good news today, folks. True freedom means that we are free from God's wrath. Romans 5, 9, we're free from God's condemnation. Romans 8, 1, we're free from the plight of hell and death. We see that in John 3, 16 and John 5, 24, as I've already mentioned. We're free from the guilt of sin. Anybody ever sin and you immediately feel guilty? That's, that, by the way, uh, the quicker you realize that you've just sinned, the better. That means the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that sin. If you just sin, 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 and you really never feel any remorse, I want to encourage you. There may be a problem. See, when we sin, there ought to be an immediate conviction that comes in our lives. We're free from the guilt of sin. We're free from the supremacy of sin. And we're free from the power of Satan. That doesn't mean that he doesn't walk about seeking whom he may devour. It just means that I'm free from his power, that I can now live in the power of Jesus Christ rather than in the power of my sinfulness, my selfishness, and under the power of Satan. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're free. We're free from, from the bondage of sin. We're free from the rigors of the law. Think about the law. There's, I was just mentioning Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and following, and I, I told the guys verses 3 through 6, but in 1 and 2, what's pretty interesting, the Bible says, there therefore is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, there's, there's the principle of abiding even in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8. That we walk not after the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit. Oh yes, we're free from the rigors of the law. Verse number 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Life in Christ is the only thing that can truly set us free. With Jesus, I have no longer, I have no longer, I don't have the need to concern myself with my futile attempts. And that's all they are. My futile attempts and my error in trying to work my way to heaven. That was the problem with the law, folks. 613 laws that you were going to try and fulfill to work your way to heaven, and there's no way that you can do it. We have a problem with two laws. The two great commandments, remember? 
They said, hey, what's the great commandment? Jesus says that thou, will, that thou shalt love. Matthew 22, verses 37 and following. He says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy mind, and with all of thy strength. And then he says, in the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor with thyself. We have a hard time with those things, let alone 611 other ones. We're free from the rigors of the law. With Jesus, I don't have to try and work my way to heaven. Listen, when he was on the cross, he said, he didn't say, hey, Greg, you've got to do, 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 do. He said, it is done. It is finished. I abolished it. I put it to death, the sin of the world. Listen, Jesus, we're free from the law because the last time I checked, he's still the only way. He's still the only truth, and he's still the only life that leads to the Father. No man comes to the Father except by him. But without Jesus' true freedom that he and he alone offers, he told those guys, those Jews, what did he say? He said, without me, you will die in your sinfulness. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Because, see, you're abiding beneath. You're from beneath. I'm from above. You're abiding in darkness. I am the light of the world. The darkness and the light have nothing to do with one another. If you want to walk with me, you have to be of the light. And so we're free from the rigors of the law. And then the last thought I just put down as I close, we're free to live for Christ. We are free to live for Christ. What an amazing thing. The Bible says in verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. But here's a dangerous preposition, proposition here for you this morning. I put down here in my notes that we cannot say we are living according to God's truth and then compromise his standards. I can't walk out of this building today and say, man, that was great, set me free, I'm going to live according to God's truth. And then five minutes down the road, I'm living life according to my own thoughts, my own ways, and my own standards. By the way, his thoughts, his ways, and his word, those standards should actually be our standards if he has truly set us free. Again, back in John chapter 8, verse number 12, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. What he's saying there is, he that follows me is not going to walk in ignorance. He that follows me is not going to walk in wickedness or misery. And then he goes on, he says, but he that follows me shall have the light of life. And what he's speaking of, folks, is his divine light that actually goes to work in our lives and it brings his knowledge, his holiness, and his joy all the way from now, all the way through eternity future in our lives. Jesus Christ is the shining light of the world. And when he shines in us, we too inevitably will shine as his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. As he shines in and through us, we become the ambassadors that he desires for us to be. We have an incredible privilege, but we also have an incredible responsibility to live for him. Romans chapter 6 says this, For when you were servants of sin, <laughs> you were free from righteousness. Now think about this. Romans 6.20 says, When you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. In other words, what Paul is saying is there was no righteousness in you. You were filled with sin. You were the servants of sin. There's no righteousness in you. Verse 21, he says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? 
For the end of those things, he said, is death. But verse 22, he says, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have put your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. When Christ comes in, something is going to change. When Christ comes in, something is going to change. And here's the rub. If you can honestly look in your own heart, put that little mirror in front of your, that, that, that imaginary mirror in front of your own face today, as I put it in front of mine. If you look in the mirror of your own heart, if there has never been a change, or maybe there was a change, but you're not living the way that you know that you should, I want to challenge you. I'm not going to encourage you. I want to challenge you to burn up the carpet and to bow your heart before an eternal God who can do all things. He can set you free from your current sin, your past sin, and your future sin if you'll place your trust and faith and confidence in Him and take it away from yourself or your heritage, whatever the case may be. Listen, John chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth fruit. For without me, he says, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he says, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. The proof of a person's faith and, excuse me, and belief is seen in whether we abide or not. If you say, I believe, but you don't abide, there's a problem. And if you say, I'm trying to abide, but you've never believed, you've skipped, you've messed up the process, Travis. You've jumped the process. You put the abiding, you put the good works, you put the good name, you've put the good image in front of belief. You cannot change the process. Yes, it can be a series. Belief comes first. Abiding is what comes as the result of our belief. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to beg you like never before. On July the 2nd, two days before we as a nation celebrate our independence and our freedom as a people, I want to encourage you to celebrate today the truth that only Jesus Christ can offer by placing your faith, trust, and confidence in Him. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.